0: Bonus episodes release the first of every month featuring exclusive one on one interviews with those who keep our dance community alive. If you're ready to spend a little time getting a little better each day, let's dance in. Happy Friday, September 18th, episode 49. If you've ever felt like you've had to choose one or the other in regards to concert versus commercial dance, this is the perfect article for you. So without further ado, let's dance on in to Dance Plug's article, It's Time to Shatter Exclusive Labels on Concert Versus Commercial Dance, written by Andrew Pearson. When I first started dancing, I was convinced I was going to become a backup dancer for Britney Spears. I had only been dancing for a few years and had little knowledge of the dance industry at large, but with music videos and other commercial dance styles far more accessible to me than dance company work, I figured it couldn't get much better than Britney. Within just a few years, this perspective would expand as the conservatory-style BFA program I attended introduced me to concert dance. While I never lost my pop star sensibilities, my first dance contract out of college was for a small modern dance company in Montana. The company had commissioned four New York-based choreographers over the course of four years, and this would be the full premiere of what was called the Montana Suite. Being a born and bred California boy, I was equally excited and terrified for this opportunity. Excited to have the chance to work with artists from New York, terrified because I would be leaving sunny Los Angeles to spend two months in Montana during the dead of winter. So with a suitcase full of long johns, snow boots, and puffy coats, along with my years of modern dance training, I thought I was more prepared for the January rehearsal process. What I couldn't have prepared for was to have my entire sense of dancer identity put into question by the end of the contract. Oh, so you're a commercial dancer. This comment, practically an accusation, was made by one of the choreographers during a lunch break upon learning I lived in LA. It was true that back home I was represented by an agent who sent me out on auditions for TV, popular music artists, and musical theater, but... In that moment, I was performing on contract with a concert dance company. Couldn't I be both a concert dancer and commercial dancer? Or better yet, couldn't I be simply a dancer? Fueled by the injury of feeling wrongfully identified, I felt the pressure to prove myself as a concert dancer. Thankfully, this drive led me to my most formative position with Los Angeles Contemporary Dance Company, LACDC, a company that from its inception embraced the commercial aspects of the city we represented while maintaining a mission to present concert dance works to the community. The company has commissioned works from commercial successes like Ryan Huffington, Sia, Florence, and the Machine, and Nina McNeely, Rihanna, Nick Jonas, alongside dance company directors including Michaela Taylor, TL Collective, and Stephanie Zaital. In addition to always supporting company members when they booked projects with the likes of Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, and Paul McCartney, to name a few. With this company as my model, I almost forgot about the deeply drawn line in the sand until I attended the 2018 Dance USA conference here in Los Angeles, which included a talk entitled Bridging the Gap Between Concert and Commercial Dance. With a title that inherently suggests polarization, it's no wonder this panel became one of the most contentious of the entire conference value judgments led to finger pointing, which led to a room of defense dance makers operating more on passion than on objective criticism. Issues surrounding the use of social media and dance, the inherent differences between nonprofit and for-profit models of dance making, and the responsibility of audience engagement versus audience education seem to leave little to agree on. It somehow felt significantly more divisive than the talks on hot-button issues such as race and sexual harassment. So much so, the topic was revisited during the closing ceremony, still leaving many firmly standing in their own corners. Now, I think it's important to acknowledge that I am definitely not the first and will likely not be the last to write about this subject. In her 2013 MFA thesis, Mapping the Relationship Between Concert and Commercial Dance for State University New York, Brockport, Nicole Kaplan proposed a non-hierarchical distinction in which the difference between concert and commercial dance is based purely on context rather than value. Publications such as Dance New York TV, Dance Informa, and Dance Spirit have also posted articles outlining differences in the forms without placing one higher than the other. Most recently, Dance Magazine published an article by Suzanne titled, Is the Line Between Concert and Commercial Dance Finally Fading?, in which Frisia wonders how necessary it is to draw distinctions between concert and commercial at all. Through conversations with dancers, Stephanie and Dina, two strong examples of crossover dancers, the article explores how and why this line is fading, with both dancers affirming, I don't like the idea of limiting myself, and I never think anyone should put themselves in a box. This is the type of impartial view that allows the two worlds to not only harmoniously coincide, but also promotes a symbiotic growth for the dance industry at large this in turn brings up an even more profound exploration of identity and the role of dance in our current ecosystem When I think back to that heated Dance USA debate in 2018, even as an artist who had been actively supporting the intersection of concert and commercial approaches to dance making, I remember feeling the need to choose a side. Our identities are intrinsically linked to our artistic craft, and the identity of dancer can feel especially ephemeral. This is evidence in the still heavily referred quote by Martha Graham. A dancer dies twice, and explored again recently in the New York Times article, A Ballerina's Nightmare, Am I More Than Just a Dancer? profiling the injury of a ballet star, Tyler Peck. So, when we're forced to see labels or classifications as two ends of a spectrum, our egos go into self-preservation mode. We have to negate the other to justify ourselves. When we have to believe even when our career is less than ideal... Well, at least I'm not one of them. Jump to the present day, a mere two years later, and the 2020 Dance USA Conference spoke nothing of commercial versus concert dance and focused mostly on racial, social, and disability justice. Conference panelists made up of Black, trans, multiracial, disabled, and gender non-conforming leaders in the dance industry urged us to move past diversity and inclusion, concepts that by their very nature suggest there is a standard to be included into, and in Instead, work toward not only equity, but justice. Something specific that stuck with me from this year's conference was a concept introduced by panelist Laurel Lawson. She suggested a container for equity that is fluid and malleable, providing the flexibility needed to center the artists and communities most needed at any given time. A flexible framework that allows us to shine light on one group, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement, and equally supports marginalized and oppressed non-black groups. It's the and in this concept that's important. It's not an either or position. So, with increased conversation on intersectionality, gender fluidity, and the aesthetics of disability, it's clear our societal understanding of the nuisance of identity is greatly expanding. As evidenced by the above-mentioned Dance Magazine's article, career-fluid dancers are already putting an end to previous practices of polarization. With the recognition that there is much work to be done in the fight for justice, could dismantling of the concert commercial dance binary be a step toward a more equitable era of dance. Thank you so much to our author Andrew Pearson and Danceplug.com for giving us permission to share that wonderful article with you today. So much information packed in there. Andrew did such a good job of alluding to different examples of choreographers and artists who have bridged the gap between commercial and concert world. And just want to share a couple of my own in case you are interested in diving into artists who have successfully done so. So Edward Locke is a fabulous example of that. Not only as he worked with with one of my favorite concert dance companies, Netherlands Dance Theater, but also with David Bowie and another dancer and artist who um, also has her own podcast, Dana Wilson. I absolutely love her podcast. That's one of my favorite dance podcasts to tune into. It's titled Words That Move Me, if you're interested as well. She also is a big advocate for, in quotes, doing daily, so if you've loved making this podcast a part of your daily routine, definitely check her out. Um, She is another perfect example of bridging the gap between commercial and concert. She not only has danced for Justin Timberlake, but she has her own cool little company called the Seaweed Sisters. Which consists of three dancers one green, one blue, and one pink. And I love that they always allude to this or um, circle back to each character within all of their choreography. They do perform live or, well, at least used to before COVID-19. Not sure if there's anything for the upcoming season with um, COVID procedures in place. But aside from performing live, they have such visually and aesthetically pleasing videography as well as photography. The movement quality is similar to gesture-like movement that you would see within concert dance. However, there's this really cool funkiness to it that you'd find within commercial Super playful, super fun, yet still thought-provoking. So if you haven't heard of them, definitely do yourself a favor and check them out. Hope you enjoyed your tip for the day. I know it was a little lengthier than usual. Regardless, I hope it got you on the right foot for the day. Thanks for listening today and tune in tomorrow for more short and sweet tips. Happy dancing.